And so I'm not going to minister long uh, up here from the Word, but at the end of this message or this exhortation, this charge, you know, I, I'm looking for a response from you. Looking for a response. Just lift up your hands right now. Let's say it together. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Yes, God is going to speak to us this one last time and give us a charge. You know, they say that you have to learn from history, and if you don't learn from history, uh, you know, because history repeats itself, if you don't learn from it, then you'll repeat it. It'll repeat itself. And that's actually taught in the Bible. Let me read you this verse. It said out of the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Hmm. That which has been will be. There's nothing new under the sun. And so history tends to repeat itself. There's nothing new. The Bible says the Old Testament was written for our admonition and instruction. We can look at the stories in the Old Testament and the, the teachings in the New Testament and realize that we can't exempt ourselves from what happened and uh, how God works, how the enemy works, how sin works, the warnings, uh, the failures, and uh, what happened with them. Uh, it all tends to repeat itself. We understand that, right? And uh, we can't. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And so I'd like to read a passage of Scripture out of Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. I think we'll have it up here uh, on the video screen. And uh, our speaker last night, Pastor Dave, he did an awesome job last night and today. So I appreciate that. And uh, he's talking about uh, David, Bathsheba, and of course Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And uh, he mentioned Nathan coming to David. And actually, that's actually what I want to talk about, Nathan coming to David. And he shared with him a parable. And a parable is an earthly story that speaks of spiritual truth. And so let's take a look at this parable. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city. So when I, did, when I go through this, I want you to think about uh, who the characters are in this parable. There are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, drank from his own cup, lay in his own bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this shall surely die. I mean, you die. He's pronouncing death on a man that just took a lamb, but uh, shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing because he had no pity. We'll stop right there. Then we'll read the next few verses here in a second. So we have some characters there. We, we have the, the rich man. We have the poor man. We have the little lamb and we have the traveler. Those four characters. So who's the, who's the rich man? David's the rich man, the king, who had many possessions. He had a number of wives as well. Who's the poor man? They'd be Uriah the Hittite, one of David's mighty men. His wife was Bathsheba. Then would be the, the little lamb. The little lamb, that's the three characters. And then the traveler. 
The traveler came. I think in a a modern translation, the guest came to David's house. So we got David, we have Uriah, we got Bathsheba, then we got the traveler. Now there's nothing new under the sun. You might be the David in the story. You might be the Uriah. I don't think we have any little lambs here, any Bathsheba's here. It's, It's a man's conference. There's nothing new under the sun. There's a traveler also. There's a traveler that we'll all face. Let's continue reading the story. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, man, David forgot how blessed he was. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We forget how blessed we truly are. And uh, God is, I mean, we see in this response that God was willing to do even more for David. Even while I think you're talking about he was at the top of his game. I mean, politically and uh, financially and relationally with, with the Lord. And he said, if that had been too little, I would have given you much more than one final verse. Verse 9. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in the sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. So Nathan confronts David, and David had been just carrying this and concealing this. He wasn't turning from it. You know, David was quick to repent, but in this particular case, uh, he wasn't quick to respond to the Lord because Bathsheba had been pregnant for quite some time, and so months and months and months had gone on, and David still wasn't acknowledging the sin, wasn't repenting from the sin, and this thing had so displeased the Lord that he sent a prophet with the word of the Lord and pointed that bony finger at David and said, you're the man. You're the disobedient one. You're the rebellious one. You're the one that is failing right now. You've done wrong in the sight of God. You've brought reproach to the name of the Lord. You've given the enemies of the Lord occasion to blaspheme. And now because you're that man, there's going to be trouble in your marriage. There's going to be trouble in your family. There's going to be trouble in your kingdom. How how many of us realize that sin is very destructive? Amen? It is destructive, and you can't, you can't contain it. They always say sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and end up costing you more than you want to pay. That's what happens. That's what happens. But the characters, the rich man is David, the poor man is Uriah, the lamb is Bathsheba, the traveler, that's that one that comes to you and knocks on your door and says, will you do wrong? Will you sin? That traveler would be, in this story, the devil or Satan. The Scripture tells us that the traveler came to David's house. So the traveler knows where you live. And if that traveler is the devil or Satan, we need to understand that he knows where you live. It tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil... Listen to this. He walks about. He's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In the book of Job, uh, the uh, Satan had to respond to God. He says, "You know, I've been I've been going to and fro all the earth, to and fro all the earth." So uh, Satan is watching, walking about, seeking somebody to devour. 
And in this case, it was David. His lust. David had a lust problem, obviously. He got bored. That's a great message last night. I won't go through that message. But Satan found somebody to attack, somebody to tempt, somebody to approach. And there, there's nothing new under the sun. If it happened in the Old Testament, it'll happen in the New Testament. It'll happen in Highland, Michigan, or in the state of Michigan in 2023. There is a devil. He is walking about, and he knows right where you live. He knows where you live, and he will knock on your door. I mean, this was a traveler. It was a guest. He came to the rich man, David, and he knocked on his door. And what did David do? He answered the door and let him in. And the scripture says, don't give place to the devil. I mean, we might not be able to stop him from knocking on our door, but we can certainly not answer it and welcome him in. And I want you to know when he comes in, he is very demanding. And David felt like he needed to do something, and he ended up transgressing and despising the commandment of the Lord and rebelling against God. And Satan comes to tempt you to sin, to sin against God, to sin against your spouse, to sin against your family, to sin against your ministry. He wants to destroy your testimony. And we're all trying to man up and to be that man. And one of the ways we need to be that man is don't answer the door if the devil comes knocking. Don't let the traveler in your heart, your marriage, your family, your ministry, your business. Tells us in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. Guard your heart. And if you let the enemy in, I want you to know when you let him in, you will sin and God will come and say, you're the man. You're the man that sinned. You're the man that needs to repent. You're the man that needs to make things right. You're the man that needs to apologize. You're the one that needs to acknowledge this thing. You're the man that needs to get right with God. You're the man. Atai-ish is what it says in Hebrew. Atai-ish. You're the man. You're that man. But the scripture also says that Jesus knows where you live. Just as this traveler knew where David lived and came to where he lived, and the enemy knows where you live, he knows everything about you, so also does the Lord. The Bible says that the Lord knows those that are his. We believe that, don't we? That God knows us. He knows, he knows my name. He knows my address. He knows my burdens, my weaknesses, my desires. He knows where I'm at. He knows me. Thank God for that. I thank God for the knowledge of the Lord, right? The Lord knows where I live. He knows where you live. Matter of fact, he knows your heart better than you know it yourself. He knows you better than you know it yourself. We try to hide things from the Lord. We don't want to acknowledge things to God. And that's ridiculous because the Lord knows your heart even better than you know your heart. And the traveler, when he came to David's house. He had to knock on that door, and David had to answer, oh, it's you? Well, come on in. And we give in to temptation, and the devil has a foothold, right? Jesus said this about the devil. The prince of this world comes 
This is at the last day at the, at the Lord's Supper. He's talking to the disciples. He says, the prince of the world comes and he finds nothing in me. There is nothing in Jesus' heart to respond to any of the Satan's temptations because he was the holy son of God. But sad to say, even though we're saved and we now have a new nature, we thank God for this new nature, but we also realize the principle of the flesh is still there. And when Satan comes knocking many times, uh, there's things in our heart that respond to those temptations. Anger, unforgiveness, lust, insecurity, anxieties, fears, right? The pursuit of pleasure, the desire for position, for power. We get lifted up with pride. Satan comes. We let him in, and he attacks this area, entices that area. Next thing you know, we got a mess in our hands. But the Bible says that the Lord knows those that are his. The Lord comes a-knocking, and the Bible tells us, and listen what it says in Revelation 3, verse 12. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Satan will knock, but Jesus knocks. He knocks at our door, not to destroy us, to tempt us to evil, to bring calamity, but to save us, to redeem us, to restore us, to reconcile us, to forgive us, to save us, to deliver us, to lift us to fellowship with us, to have an intimate relationship. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I will come in and fellowship with him, have a relationship with him. Who's knocking on your door? Who's knocking on your door? When you answer that knock, who's at the door? Satan or Jesus? We need to invite Jesus into our heart, into our marriage, into our family, into our ministry, into our business, into our relationships. And the traveler destroyed. David said, it'll cost you fourfold. And it sure did. Amnon, Tamar, Absalom, Adonijah, they all died. Or she was raped, reputation was ruined. A sword, yep, sure did. A sword was in his family. Destruction. But the Lord is a wonderful redeemer and a wonderful savior. We answer his knocking and invite him into our hearts and welcome him into our lives. He doesn't destroy things. He saves things. He redeems things. Amen? Oh, Jesus, come into my heart. Lift up your hands and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my marriage. Come into my family. Come into my business. He'll answer that prayer. So you welcome the traveler in. You end up sinning. God sends a prophet to speak the word of the Lord. He points that bony finger at you and says, Ish, you're the man that sinned, that failed, that needs to repent, that's not right with God. Get your life right with God. You're the man that needs to do that. But when we, when we answer the knocking of Jesus, behold, I stand at the door knock. When we answer the Lord, he comes into our heart, our marriage, our family, our ministry, our business. He comes in, and you know what he says to us? He says, you're the man. 
You're the man I've been looking for. You're the man after God's heart. You're the man that will stand in the gap and pray. You're the man strong in grace. Whoa, what a different message when we answer the Lord's knocking as opposed to the traveler's knocking. I'd rather have the Holy Spirit say, you're the man that I've been waiting for, looking for. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that the Lord waits that he might be gracious to us. If you read that passage in Isaiah chapter 30, what's he waiting on? The Lord is waiting to be kind or gracious or redeeming towards us. What he's waiting on, if you read that passage of Scripture, God is simply waiting for you to turn to him. He's just waiting on you. Will you seek me? Will you pray? Will you turn to me? And if you do, I'll be gracious to you. I'll forgive you. I'll help you. I'll redeem you. I'll save you. I'll do all these things for you. You're the man I've been waiting for. You're the answer. The Bible says God is looking for a man to stand in the gap. He's looking, looking, looking. And just like the devil walks to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord go back and forth trying to find men's whose hearts will be loyal. He's looking at you right now, at us right now. And the devil might have done a lot of calamity and say, you know what, you're that man that needs to repent. And we gave you opportunity to do that. But perhaps the Spirit of God is pointing his finger at you or opening up his loving hands to you and say, you're the man that my hand is upon. You're the man that I've been looking for. Will you stand up and step up and be that man? Ata-ish, you are the man. You are the man God is looking for. You are the man God has called to pray, to stand in the gap, to intercede for your family. You are the man that will love God, love your wife, and love your children. You are the man that will worship God, read the Word, and teach your children. You are the man that will live with integrity and that will set the example. You are the man that will stand alone with courage, take your authority with humility, and stand on the Word with faith. You are the man that will resist the devil, fight the good fight of faith, and endure hardness. You are the man that will take your children to church, serve in your church, and tithe to your church. You are the man God has raised up in this generation to hold fast to the word, stand for truth, and be bold for Jesus. You are the man that will say, not in this house, not on my watch, not while I'm here. Are you that man? You are that man. You are that man. Let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. I want this to be a response, a close to this whole weekend of God's dealing, God's wooing, God's drawing. The Spirit of God is just moving afresh in our country. People are pressing in, worshiping, repenting praying, seeking God. Are you the man that will respond to God? Are you that man that said, that will say, pass me not, O Lord. 
Come to me, come to my house, come to my heart, come to my family. I'll be that man. I'll be that man. The Lord wants you to be that man. The Lord is saying to you, you are the man. You're the man of my choosing. You're the man of my calling. You're the man that I love. You're the man that I take pleasure in. You're the man that I send help to. You're the man that I have a purpose and a plan for. You're the man. How many want to be that man? How many want to be that man? We're going to close with this song. This altar is open. If you need to repent because the traveler has come and the Lord is saying, you're the man that needs to repent, you come and you repent. But maybe there's so many of you that say, you know what? I want to be the man. You know, Pilate looked in Jesus and he said, behold, the man. Jesus is the man. You want to be like him? Man, if that's in your heart, I want to be that man. That man, that man of God. That man of God. Maybe this could be a time where you step out and step forward and say, oh, Lord, I want to be that man you want to be that man as we worship the Lord, come on down and let's commit ourselves to the Lord. Let's make an altar here at the altar. And you say, Lord, I want to be that man. Oh, God will take in his arms and he will love on you. You are God's son in whom he is well-pleased. You are God's son in whom he is well-pleased. Behold the men that want to be the man. Let's worship. Let's do business with God.